Hello and welcome to Move the Line, presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. I'm Ryan Newton, joined here, as always, by my friends to talk size and totals for Championship Sunday. Connor Allen, what's going on, bud? Yeah, it's uh, an exciting week of games here. I'm one of the last few ones with, with multiple games, so I don't know. It's one of those things where the more I break these games down, the less exciting I think they'll be, which is kind of sad. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I, I mean, I'm excited to watch them from a pure football standpoint. I just think that some people might be disappointed uh, with the style of gameplay. So we'll get into that more later. Yeah, I mean, would, uh, from a betting standpoint, it is obviously we are talking about sides and totals. They're very efficient markets when you only have two. Uh, you know, I think even when you only have like, you know, say 14 or 15, this is obviously one of the most efficient markets in the world that we are, you know, a couple of days into these lines. So they are uh, very efficient, but I'm super excited to get your guys' thoughts here. And obviously donning a Chiefs jersey, Patty Mahomes here. Uh, Clark is fired up and ready to go. Joining us as always, Sharp Clark, what's up, bud? Yeah, you're exactly right. These these markets matured faster than in a typical week, and that's partly because there's only two games to analyze and partly because limits started higher and raised more aggressively quicker. I mean, I don't know what circus at now, but yesterday on a Tuesday, they were taking $75,000 on sides. And so that's what dictates how mature the market is. And so typically when we do this show on a Wednesday, you know, I still feel pretty good about some of the sides and totals and how, you know, we might be able to get ahead of line movement. This is not one of those shows. These lines are very, very sharp. Um, and so to the extent that you're betting at this point in the week on those major markets, you're doing so because either for fun or you think you have an edge that's not captured by the market, which is rare. But um, I just didn't want to throw that caveat out there as, as we get diving into these games. Yeah, it's an important point for sure. They are mature markets, but hey, well, we'll give our thoughts here. Uh, as we've been doing all season here on Wednesdays on the 444 Bets YouTube channel, we'll still have a Super Bowl show to be determined or to figure out what that looks like in different iterations over the years in terms of uh, the Super Bowl show. Uh, so again, subscribe to the channel, 444 Bets on YouTube, podcast in your podcast feed, wherever you listen as well, typically on Wednesday evening. Come back on Friday. It'll be a prop drop show. Uh, that gets a little bit harder. <laughs> I think the conference championship prop drop show uh, is one of the hardest ones to do because also props come out way earlier. So like, we're waiting for lines typically on a prop show or like, you know, some stuff that like just pop before the show. No, that will not be the case on Friday. We'll do our best to give you some uh, good, uh, no stale bread lines, some stuff that we are interested in there as well. Super Bowl prop show obviously takes on uh, a different look because the menu is very extensive. We typically get a little bit more here for conference championships. We just don't get like the off the wall uh, type of menu that we'll have for Super Bowl, but we'll be there again, 3 p.m. Eastern Friday for four bets YouTube channel as well. Uh, the betting subscription massively discounted $9.99 right now. com slash plans uh, gets you access to all that we do again to the end of uh, February. So that'll get you a little bit of MMA. That'll get you some NBA on top of the football stuff that remains. But again, just to get you get your foot in the door, let you see what that subscription looks like in terms of all the season-long stuff that you could possibly want, all the tools. So I think the tools uh, are a massive add as well if you play you know season long or articles projections rankings all that stuff as well and then gets you into our discord which is where we push all the official plays as well so you can check that out on the site 444.com slash plants all right before we jump into the conference championship season ended last week for the texans packers bucks and bills uh we're gonna touch in depth on the teams that knocked them out but before we do uh, i want to get you guys' thoughts on whether it's those games or i think more so in terms of like team building because like well, look we're we're coming up to the end of the season and i think last year connor we were looking at this the other day we took like a week or so off and then we like jumped right into 
uh, you know, off season stuff, draft team building type stuff. So like, yeah, we'll probably take a one week hiatus, but like we will be back here doing shows all season long. We'll start to get into more like what are the cap situations? What does the draft look like? Um, but let's you know start there. I'll start with you, Connor, in terms of any of the teams you want to touch on. Obviously, uh, you know, Texans and Packers, I think, have a similar build in terms of like and maybe they found long-term answers at quarterback. Like there go the Packers again finding another long-term answer at quarterback. Uh Bucks are kind of maybe in a spot where gonna do something with the quarterback, and then the Bills are what do they do? Do they kind of continue on or do they rebuild? What are your thoughts on uh before they got eliminated? Yeah, the Texans are a fun one because they had so much success without a very good offensive line. They were partially injured, partially just didn't have much talent. Like if they have a better offensive line and can establish a running game, I think that unlocks a whole new level to what they want to do. Whereas like, you know, it's kind of been what they did this year was, you know, run on first down way too frequently, not have that much success. And then CJ Stroud bailed them out in second and third down. If he's not forced to bail them out on, you know, the later downs and bad situations, the cap for this, uh, this offense is like, I mean, TJ Stroud, I, I would assume, will be a very popular MVP vet next season. Um, so I'm really excited to see what his number comes in at. And then Jordan Love in this Packers offense, I mean, they had a great streak. They had an awesome end of the season. Um, count me as someone who's like, you know, excited and cautiously optimistic about Jordan Love next season. But I certainly will not be betting his MVP numbers at like chalky numbers if they're super high. Um it's just, you know, like I I could see one of those things being massively inflated there. And then uh the Bills are. Bills are a tough one. I mean, I think that they were just mostly really injured. I think their defense is still fine. Like, I, you know, obviously it sucks because they're losing in their win-now window. It becomes tougher with the cap situation. But at the end of the day, they still have an awesome quarterback, Josh Allen. They still have a lot of good players. Like, you know, obviously it feels like the sky is falling now, but I don't think it's the end of the world uh, for the next few years. Yeah. No, I think those are all good points. Uh, hard to not be optimistic about all things Texans. They have a shit ton of cap space as well. Uh, but again, like part of that is like, on the defensive side, they had a lot of like small deals, like so they're gonna have to replenish the defensive side of the ball. They have a coach that I think we all buy into in terms of you know being able to schematically get that team to maybe overperform again because I think that's kind of what happened here down the stretch. Uh, we know the Packers a whole narrative around and part of our optimism was around them being a young football team and, and the continuity that could come as they grow and mature. The cap situation is a little bit different, so let's see what happens there but uh you know they extended jordan love at the start of the season so they have one extra year there on his deal which i think is interesting bucks kind of in purgatory clark i'd love to get your thoughts connor kind of skip them because i i don't know what to do with him either because it's like it, the division is kind of still like a weird spot we're going to be in the same spot like the magic that the saints are going to have to do to move cap money again that they do every year you just like how do they end up fielding a team is going to be weird but now i think with what happened with baker they're probably like they probably end up signing him uh, to you know, some sort of hopefully team friendly deal for a year or two, but that's really interesting because that might be enough to win the division. But does that really pull you forward? So thoughts on the Bucks and and any of the other teams that have uh, left us here? Yeah, the Bucks are in a tough spot team building wise because, like you said, the division is winnable for the foreseeable future. They have a quarterback who's capable and Baker Mayfield, but he's just not ever going to be the guy that that takes you over the top the way that you know. If Jordan Love hits his upside, he could do it. CJ Stroud, I think we've already seen, can do it. You know, Mahomes, all those kind of guys. Mayfield's not that guy. So I think if I'm the Bucks, I'm I'm thinking of team rebuilding the same way the Chiefs did, where they kind of remained competitive with Alex Smith while they knew that their ceiling was capped. And then they brought in Mahomes as a project to try to, you know, 
eventually take over Alex Smith. And so after a year, they were comfortable putting him in there and it worked and it, you know, it's great and all that kind of stuff. I think if you, if you go the hard, the hard tank, I think there's a lot, it's like harder to dig yourself out of that. We're seeing that with Carolina right now. You miss on the number one quarterback, you set yourself back, you're dealing with different coaches. I think the Bucks need to try to keep winning with Baker Mayfield while they sort of under the surface build for the future. And I don't know if that's drafting a quarterback in the first, you know, late in the first round or, or in the second round, maybe that you think is a good prospect that can develop or, you know, something like that. But I think Baker is, is probably going to be the starter for the Bucks next year. He did enough to earn it. And I think the Bucks are good enough of a roster, even if Mike Evans leaves, that uh, they can continue to compete in that division. They did a great job this offseason getting their cap in a manageable situation moving forward, too. So that was probably the best thing the Bucks did. And part of why it looked like I thought coming into the season, they were definitely in like proactive tank mode to you know, kind of build for the future but they the division was so poor that they were able to stumble into being competitive because uh no one really wanted to go out and win that one i would love to see i'd love to see t higgins in houston um he's gonna get the back from someone um that just that would be really nice to just kind of lean into like hey look you did a great job last year we all kind of questioned it on draft day with the move that they made to go two and three to give up all that equity to to lock up CJ Stroud and, and Will Anderson Jr. They were both fantastic. Um, but now you're in that win now window with a rookie quarterback. Like just kind of push in, figure it out. Uh, you know, I think you can make a splash defensively, but man, T. Higgins is maybe one of the better offensive weapons that's going to be out there. Uh, that would be a fun landing spot for him. So uh yeah, I mean I'm cautiously optimistic. I think that division two, the South, is interesting with Anthony Richardson coming back. What happens with Jacksonville bouncing back? Um, so that's maybe not going to be the, you know, the crap division that we thought maybe coming into the season. There's, you know, maybe some potential there for multiple playoff teams. So, all right, let's get into the goods, real goods. All right, Kansas City on the road, kicking off this weekend in Baltimore. Uh, it's open to three and a half in most spots. Was juiced towards the Chiefs, down to three briefly. And I was bounced all the way back up to four a bit yesterday. And we're basically holding right now three and a half minus 110 in most spots. Totals held steady the entire time, basically 44 and a half. Uh, this is Lamar's first AFC title game, six straight for Patrick Mahomes, as we know, first on the road. Uh, I find this market to be absolutely fascinating. I want to get your thoughts here first, Clark. Um, I'm not originating, um, but I have to think if you're relying on in season data specifically, what we saw this year on the field to build your lines and you build your model. Uh, this line has to be more than three and a half, right? Like the Ravens were a significantly better team in every aspect all season long. The other side has Patrick Mahomes. That's clearly baked into the market, clearly why we're at this spot. Is it baked in enough or am I completely off base and this is three and a half based off of like uh, numbers only? It's, it's a good question. And I, you know, I grade my teams at this point. They're 100% based on this season's ratings. I'm not using past year's data to inform my numbers. And based on this season's ratings, I still make it 3.1 for the Ravens. So I still I think the number is too high, uh, which I think is probably in a minority position among people that do model because the difference between my data and I think what a lot of people use is is sort of philosophically most data is based on outcomes, binary outcomes, right? And so one really obvious example of this is when MVS drops that touchdown pass against Philadelphia. Um, you know, in reality, there's no way of knowing exactly what the percentage chance is of him catching that ball. 
you know, you can run all kinds of models of like velocity of the ball and separation and how close it was to his chest and, you know, how, how likely MVS is to catch passes in certain different, whatever, all that kind of stuff. But I do know that I can get closer by guessing than I can by using the result of that play because the result of that play was 0%. There was zero for one on that play. Um, and I think it was probably closer to about 85, 90%, but you know, whatever, whatever the percent is, my, my grading system is built around trying to take the predictive elements of plays and, and spit that out into numbers. And based on that, over the course of the whole season, that was only one play. There's plenty of other examples. Uh, the chiefs have the most drops, I think in the NFL, depending on what data source you use again, you know, how do you quantify a drop? There's a difference between a wide open drop and he catches it in the defender's helmet, you know, jostles it out or you know he is kind of out of his reach but sort of within his reach he drops all that kind of stuff um but chiefs had the most drops they had you know that obviously that offsides by tony was huge against the bills they had those drops against detroit it's been all year and so based on my numbers the chiefs actually are the number two offense in the nfl based on this year's numbers and so i think the whole sky is falling chiefs offense is terrible this year i think all that's been overblown um, and some of it was recency bias, right? Their worst offensive performance was against the Raiders late in the season. Um, and they also had a bad game against Denver kind of in the middle of the season. But I think um, when when betters are kind of skeptical about the Chiefs and they have that complete dud that everyone was watching late in the season, and then they never really had a chance to kind of rectify it. They, they, did, every, you know, they did what they could against the Bengals. They had bad uh, red zone performance in that game, but they still covered the spread. You know, they beat the Dolphins, but the Dolphins were banged up at linebacker and, and secondary. They beat the Bills, but they were banged up at linebacker. Um, but what I've seen is an offense that knows what it's doing and knows how to capitalize on mistakes. And so, like, based on the entire season, based on all my metrics, I think the Chiefs offense is underrated. And that's a crazy thing to say uh, with Patrick Mahomes, but it's true based on the market rating. So um, on that side of the ball, I think uh, I have confidence in the Chiefs offense, but this will be the toughest test of the entire season because the Ravens defense is obviously very very good and last week i talked about how i liked the texans prospects because the ravens defense had thus far had its best games against well-schemed offenses but not elite quarterbacks and then they really shut down cj stroud which is very impressive but the thing that i noticed in watching that film was that cj stroud was not anticipating pressure pre-snap he was reacting to it really really well like his his re like when the blitz comes in he was getting rid of the ball he was avoiding negative plays that is a very very difficult thing to do but he always seemed a little bit surprised at where the pressure was coming from. And I think Patrick Mahomes' experience and just incredible understanding and field vision of what's happening on every play, I think that will help him against this Ravens defense uh, to be more successful than C.J. Stroud was. So it will be a struggle. It won't be the Bills game where the Chiefs just roll up and down the field pretty much every drive. It's going to be tough. But I think Mahomes, you know, in that playoff level focus with an offense that I think is pretty good overall, um, I, th I think has a chance. Uh, the last thing I want to point out is that while the Ravens defense is very, very good, their run defense hasn't been all that effective. And the Chiefs have mm -hmm. been capitalizing on the ground game with Isaiah Pacheco when he's been healthy in a way that has really helped their offense and take some of the pressure off of Mahomes. It's had a, a visibly noticeable impact on Mahomes' calmness in the, in the pocket when they can run the ball. Um, so I think that's going to be something to look out for. If Joe Tooney doesn't play, that obviously hurts the Chiefs. But uh, overall, I think this will be a game where the Chiefs do have some offensive success, just not quite as much as they had last week. Yes, still waiting on the three news. Uh, torn pec sounds like a Strain. painful. Strain. Strains pec sounds like a painful injury to, to play through, uh, especially in the interior of the offensive line. But yeah, Connor, how about uh, for you when the Chiefs have the ball? Like, have they found something offensively? Like uh, we've seen, like so Clark's ratings are very generous, uh, you know, and I would say you and he's acknowledging 
off market comparatively to like what a lot of mainstream like originators are making in terms of like yards per drive, points per drive, drive efficiency stuff. They're still top 10. They're like barely, they're like ninth and 10th in those metrics. Um, they have not been like uh, the dominant team that we've seen previously. Mike McDonald's been awesome this season. They've dealt with a ton of injuries as well defensively. Like we don't know what's going on with Marlon Humphrey in this game, for instance. I think pieced together a ton of like pressure from no-name guys. Like I've joked uh, here about like Kyle Van Noy was doing spots on McAfee for like the first month of the season. <laughs> and then it's like all of a sudden getting like 70% snap rate and like playing awesome uh, for the Ravens. So like McDonald does a, a lot there and they do a really good job at like piecing it together and they're really pliable based off of whatever their opponent's doing. But again, the other side is also Patrick Mahomes. So what are your thoughts on, you know, Chiefs having the ball here match up against the Ravens? Yeah, I think Clark brought up a good point here, specifically with the Chiefs running game against this Ravens run defense here. So, you know, on the season, they are 15th in success rate, 13th in EPA per play, allowing 4.47 yards per carry to opposing running backs. And I think that was part of the handicap last week. But we ran into issues because, one, the Texans were running the ball into loaded boxes. So basically it was like they would go under center. They would do heavier sets. Against those sets, the Ravens are like elite, allowing 3.4 yards per carry. They're 10th in success rate against out of shotgun or low like lighter boxes they're allowing over five yards per carry and i think that's something that the chiefs are going to be able to do here so the chiefs have been running mostly in heavier sets you know they had a lot of success running at buffalo with two tight ends but that came against again buffalo team that had literally was starting third string linebackers by the end of the game and the miami team that had a bunch of injuries all over as well and so i think when they're looking at it this week they need to be spreading it out and then running against that those looks in lighter boxes instead and so i think that's how the chiefs will have success here because Frankly, I have a lot of concerns about this passing game here, uh, you know, at least a reasonable amount of concerns because this Ravens defense is like an amoeba. Like they're not really high in man or zone or cover two or cover three. Like they just do a lot of different stuff schematically based on what the opponents do. And I would say if Patrick Mahomes had Tyree kill, like you can just overcome anything. Like it doesn't really matter. But you have Travis Kelsey, who's been, you know, reignited to some extent again, against literally the worst linebacker core that you'll play all year in two consecutive games. And then now you're playing against good linebackers, like legit, you know, awesome linebackers that the Ravens have. And so I think that's a big step up. So I have a little bit concerns about Kelsey just magically being open and having his, you know, looking as rejuvenated as possible. And then Rasheed Rice, I mean, he's good. Don't get me wrong, but I'm just not sure he's quite like alpha wide receiver one breakthrough, anything that they're throwing at him. Good. And the rest of the guys, I mean, are, I would say arguably the worst ancillary options in the league. Um, you know, like, you know, I've been down on MVS. He had his best mm -hmm. game of the season last year or last week. Miko Hardman played atrocious. I mean, he doesn't even belong in the field. Sky Moore is terrible and may come back. I mean, literally some of the worst options there. They just need to be their field stretchers. They run cardio. That's it. And so uh, I'm sure they'll be able to get it done. I'm sure they'll find a way to scheme up, you know, consistent, relatively consistent chain moving stuff. But if they fall behind, uh, you know, I worry about them like consistently catching up in that scenario offensively. And so if they're able to stay on schedule with the run, if they're able to, you know, run consistently, I think that they'll have probably a reasonable amount of success. But I just worry that if the Ravens are able to work against that, they won't. So th that's kind of my like, you know, pushback on the offense. But I think that I think they're in a reason reasonably good situation because the Ravens have shown that, you know, teams can run the ball against them from time to time. Oh, uh, I like that stuff. I mean, really, the Patriots want to. Uh to get involved here. They definitely, in terms of uh, 
the ancillary receivers uh, they would like to be in the team <laughs> picture as yeah. far as uh, we're seeing it's in the league. But I think the Monken Spags matchup uh, on the other side of the ball, I think is probably one of the more interesting ones here as well. The Chiefs will blitz. They will not blitz necessarily in the same way or the same amount that the Texans did last week. They've on the season blitzed at the 12th highest rate in the league, but they also send their corners um, in the slot corners at a top five rate. So I think we're going to see pressure for Lamar in a very different way, faster athletic blitzers, um, blitzers that make scrambling a little bit harder, uh, and which is obviously impactful in terms of, of Lamar. But like, I want to circle back to the Texans game too, because I feel like we had a fairly good handicap as it pertains to Houston disguising their coverage pre and post snap. I think the shift that we saw from the Texans down the stretch, once um, Stingley returned at corner, I think, again, we talked about how that was able to kind of stifle the Browns, and it's a little bit different here last week, but it worked early. Like at the half, the score was tied. Lamar did not look sharp. He did not look comfortable. The numbers bear that out as well. I think uh, like in the first half, the Ravens average 3.9 seconds to throw. It's a lot. 83.3% of his dropbacks took longer than 2.6 seconds. He averaged just 4.7 yards per attempt. And again, like I felt really encouraged. Like it's 10-10 where we were at in terms of like what we thought was going to happen was going to happen. Lamar was flushed out. He had to run second half, 9.1 yards per attempt. The time to throw dropped from 3.9 to 2.5. Just 34% of those dropbacks had a seconds to throw longer than two and a half. So like kudos to, to Todd Munkin neutralizing the blitz. They get the ball out really quick. The playmakers just quick in the flat. Um, it didn't, it threw the pressure off Lamar. He didn't have to drop back and diagnose what Houston was doing in the back end. Um, just run or get the ball out. And that's been how they've handled pressure all season. Uh, Lamar, this season, career high in completion percentage against the Blitz, career low and average depth of target. So he's not taking you know deep chances. He's just trying to get the ball out. So how they kind of handle that here, Clark, I think is going to be very interesting. Uh, and can Lamar still be a massive weapon with his legs, which I think he will be. Yeah, I think there's two ways the Ravens can really take hold of this game. And the first is if they can run the ball consistently well. If they can get six, seven, eight yards on first down consistently, Lamar Jackson is just too good and too elusive to not be able to convert on second and three, third and three. Those are like downs where they, they just have so many options. The way their offense is schemed up, it gives him options in the flat, gives him options to you know take the ball himself, gives him options to hand the ball off if there's if there's an opening up the middle. So I think the Chiefs are going to have to defend the run well on early downs. And then the second way that I think the Ravens can win this game is if if they don't contain him, you know, scrambling. It, we saw a lot of him getting getting downfield against the Texans in a way that hasn't been a priority during the regular season. So I was impressed with the Ravens coaching and Lamar Jackson's decision-making in that game. If he's able to consistently get through the backfield, right? The more Lamar is in the backfield, the better it is for the Chiefs. The more he can get out of that backfield and escape the linebackers, the better it's going to be for the Ravens. And I think Willie Gay's health really matters for that reason. He was spying Josh Allen early in that game, and then he got hurt. And then Josh Allen just kind of ran wild for a little while. <laughs> and it was kind of jarring to see the difference. So uh, Willie Gay makes a big difference. If, if the Chiefs linebackers are all healthy, then I think that they can at least prevent those big plays on the ground game. But I haven't been as impressed with the Ravens offense, I think, uh, as most people have. They they did have three really dominant offensive performances in the Miami game, which was their best offensive performance of the year. 
the, the Detroit game and the Seattle game. Those games were absolute dominant offensive performances. Very impressive. But other than that, they haven't been consistently grading all that well for me. They're pretty inconsistent. You know, Lamar Jackson takes a lot of sacks when he's under pressure. Uh, you know, when their run game isn't working and it becomes down to the pass game, they've been pretty inconsistent. His He's been a little bit reliant on big plays downfield. And so, you know, I think people have, have rewritten what happened in the 49ers game because it was such a high-profile game. And going in, it was, you know, is Brock Purdy the MVP or is Lamar the MVP? And then the Ravens won by so much that Lamar became the MVP overnight. But he didn't even actually play that well in that game. The offense wasn't that, wasn't that great. I'm going to recap every drive they had in that game. They had a three and out. They had a, a, a negative drive for a safety, uh, a field goal that was aided by a defensive pass interference on third down, a 53-yard touchdown drive that needed a fourth down conversion, a negative three-yard drive for a field goal because they got the ball so far in San Francisco territory, another field goal drive, a 44-yard touchdown drive uh, because of a penalty on the punt, a nine-yard touchdown off of an interception, and then a field goal drive and two punts. And so it wasn't this kind of offensive performance where they just they worked the 49ers defense. It was mostly just the Ravens defense putting them in good positions and then the Ravens doing enough to capitalize. And the Chiefs defense this year has been very, very good. Um, and, and I'm not sure that like I, I know that people know that, um, but for some reason, there's this expectation the Ravens are just going to do whatever they want. And I think the Chiefs are pretty well structured with with Spagnolo to stymie Lamar, you know, every other drive probably. I think they'll be able to force the Ravens into either a turnover or a punt. So I think that gives the, the Chiefs offense enough chances to uh, eventually cover the spread and ho- and hopefully win outright because I, I, I uh, have both spread and money line on the Chiefs. But uh, closing argument is what? closing argument is that it this is Patrick Mahomes. OK, this is Patrick Mahomes in the playoffs. He's an underdog. He is a unique player. And I don't mean I don't mean that he's like the best player. He is the best player. I mean, he's unique in that. His performances, his performance splits against good defenses are vastly different than any other quarterback to ever play the game. He excels his, he he lifts up his game in the toughest spots. His performance when trailing is better than his performance with the lead, which is different from every other quarterback in the history of the NFL. He is, he is a unique player that rises to the occasion in these spots against these tough defenses. And I don't care who his weapons are. You're giving him four points. I don't care that it's on the road. I don't care that he his lineman can't hear his voice. This is Patrick fucking Mahomes getting points in the playoffs, and he's gonna win this game. Love it. Oh man, uh, yeah, I love it. I love it so much. Uh, and that's kind of kind of where I was at um, in the sense that, like, and I joked we were talking a little bit before the show. Like, I feel like this is one of those very clear spots post game where you're just going to be able to say to yourself well of course baltimore won they were the best team all season in comparison to the chiefs um you know they had some dominant performances like clark just highlighted against really good teams and the chiefs like just stumbled even in the division against the raiders and uh, broncos and like just looked very mediocre at times or you're going to be like well of course mahomes one and covered he's fucking Patrick Mahomes he wins and covers he doesn't this is just what he does why would we we were getting more than three on Pat Mahomes why in the world am I holding a Ravens ticket so I just feel like there's like it's so easy in the middle or the end of that game to be like oh yeah hindsight like this this makes all the sense in the world like of course either way I'm with Clark I have no appetite for a non-Patrick Mahomes betting opportunity on Sunday, I want Mahomes. I want more than three if I can get it. Right now, it's available three and a half. 
kind of monitor, but like I feel like there's a pretty good appetite for the Ravens in the marketplace. And we've seen some fours. Man, if we're going to get four, I don't know where we're going. Like, I don't think we get to four and a half because I think you get a little bit of buyback. But like, I don't know. I don't know that we're done per se. Um, I know you're maybe a little bit on the other side. I know you got some earlier action in three versus a three and a half. But, uh, you know, any additions to what's going on with the uh, Munkin versus uh, Spags side of uh, of this handicap? Yeah, I did play some Ravens minus three at open just to be transparent, uh, just tailing off of, a you know, some sharp action that I knew, you know, some pretty well-respected betters. And they were just like, Hey, this is going to close probably three and a half, four. So I'm like, you know what? I'll get, I'll get in here and I can always buy out at a better number if I want to. I saw it and I ignored it. I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) I know. It's one of those things where, uh, when my initial handicap, I was like, yeah, that makes sense. And then the more that I did the research, I was kind of like, yeah, I don't really know how much I like this anymore. And so, you know, I, I don't really know. I think if I had to play it now, it would probably be uh, it would probably be a Chiefs plus four, or Chiefs plus three and a half, but like personally, best of my personal handicap. But I do think that there's an edge here for this Ravens offense here against the Chiefs. But I mm-hmm. think that there it's counterable. So the more that I was, you know, reading into it, so like obviously the Ravens rushing offense has been pretty solid here. Chiefs run defense not that good. Twenty third rushing success rate allowed, twenty eighth in EPA per play. Um, and what's interesting to me is that uh, the Ravens have the second most runs out of the gun. They're averaging over five yards per carry. Chiefs are bottom five success rate allowed, um, you know, and yards per carry out of the gun. It's like over five yards per carry as well. Um, Lamar accounts for around 128 of those of the 340 carries out of the gun. The, the Chiefs have really struggled to guard, you know, mobile quarterbacks this year. But then every year we say this against the Chiefs. We say Chiefs defense stinks and we've had a lot of way worse units. Like, I mean, the Chiefs defense is legit good this year, but like we've had way worse units before. Their run defense was bottom five in basically every metric coming into last year's Super Bowl. And what did they do? They came out and stopped the run. Miles Sanders didn't do shit. Like, I mean, they and they forced the Eagles into like a pass first offense almost. And that was kind of the Eagles counterpunch was like they came out and started doing these quick passes to A.J. Brown and Devonta Smith, things like that. And that was like, okay, well, they're going to like we're going to do that. And then we're going to try and run. And the running just didn't work. So they had to pass basically the whole game. And I think personally, that was one of their downfalls and why they didn't end up winning. Um, but I don't think that Lamar Jackson and the, and the Ravens are really capable of that. And I think that's kind of the, the difference here. in the issue is that like the Ravens can't do that. If they come out in a pass first offense, I mean, they're toast. Like that's like, they have no shot of winning. Like they're going to lose by 30 points. Um, but if they are able to successfully run the ball as we've seen teams successfully run the ball in chiefs almost all year, then I think that that sets up the pass that sets up the pass a lot. So Clark mentioned that too. Like, that's the Ravens' path to winning. It's it's a dominant running game, setting up the pass, and you know being really successful that way. Like I think Lamar can execute that. My issue with this game is that if either team, in my opinion, is forced to become like a drop back quarterback, goes down ten points, fourth quarter, ten minutes left, you have to drop back every play. I think they're losing by more than ten. Like it's just not they're not set up for success in those situations, just because of how good the Ravens' secondary is and defense is, and how good the Chiefs' secondary is. So like especially Lamar. I think that's a complete disaster situation. So for me, I think the most likely outcome for me is that the Ravens are able to run the ball well and have some success and they kind of cause enough turmoil that it'll be like a a three point game. So that's kind of tough for me. Like, it's just like, I go back and forth on it. Um, But yeah, played Ravens minus three. If I had to play it now, probably Chiefs plus four, probably just going to sit on my Ravens minus three position. I don't know. might be LCLV, but I don't know. That's kind of where I'm at with it. I think it'll be a good game, but what I alluded to at the beginning, like, the, the days of teams just like dropping back 50 times and throwing the ball and slinging it against like shitty defenses. Like that's just not, 
not existing, especially in this game. So, you know, it's just, I think both the key to both teams winning is running the ball and moving the, moving the ball on third downs and like chain moving situations, honestly, which is kind of lame, but I think that's what we're going to see. Yeah. I mean, elite football in the playoffs, third down conversions, red zone conversion rate, like very basic stuff. Uh, that's not super predictive ahead of time, but very descriptive in the end when we look back and like, Oh, were you able to execute on third down? Were you able to convert your red zone opportunities? Boom. So yeah. yeah. It's gonna be going to Clark to close. I think the the hard thing is going to be the difficulty level for the Chiefs offense is going to be way higher. The the way the crowd got into the Texans game and affected it, like how many false start penalties they had, they were oh, yeah. so loud. And and Patrick Mahomes said the other day that Baltimore is one of the few places he's played where it's so loud that he can't speak to his tackles. So the, there are some things that I think if the Ravens get some momentum and make it tough on the Chiefs early, you know, we've seen games where where Mahomes starts to press, and I think that's that's the the way the Ravens cover is they have to kind of get to Mahomes early, get the crowd involved and and kind of lean on that and then, you know, use that advantage to kind of crush them in the run game late. I think that's the the script for the Ravens cover. That, that that's the, that's what I'm most afraid of. Yeah. Well, it makes sense. I think that's a good transition to the uh afternoon NFC games. We have the Lions a team who's benefited uh greatly I think from having a raucous crowd for two games on the road now in San Francisco. This line opened San Francisco minus seven. Uh, spent some time out at six and a half is now basically seven minus 110 across the board. Totals dipped a little bit. We opened around 51 and a half. Uh, most spots 51 flat, which is a key number, which is important. FanDuel down to 50 and a half minus 115 to the over here. Uh, you know, injuries I think are massive here. In particular, one injury in, in particular, the Debo Samuel injury, I think matters a lot. The Niners. They survived it. They lost him early. Had that in combination, but not even combination. Like I, these things are correlated. It's the worst performance of Brock Purdy's young career in a spot uh, where you know everyone was really struggling to kind of process what they were seeing. I do think weather was a problem there as well. Uh, that should not be an issue here. Again, Debo status in the air, not practicing as of today on Wednesday as we record. Uh, the splits with Debo on and off the field, like we've talked about it earlier this season. Like we kind of had. One Niners, that was the Niners when they were healthy. And then we had that Niners little patch where uh, there was no Trent Williams and no Debo, and they looked, they lost three straight. They were completely beatable. But from a yards per play standpoint, Debo's on the field, 7.3 yards per play. Debo's off the field, 5.9 yards per play. We're talking about very league, league average, mediocre offense. Uh, EPA takes a nosedive as well. Success rate, 52.3%, all the way down to 44.3%. So like I think his status matters greatly. I want to know it. Personally, uh, before I engage in anything here in this market, Connor, I have not yet, uh, but I guess we could talk Niners offense first. What are your thoughts on this matchup? Yeah, I played some Niners minus six. Our, our buddy, you know, Silva said, drop the anvil on Niners minus <laughs> six and a half. And I was like, you know what? I'm not dropping the anvil, but I'll probably play a little bit here because I do think this probably should be seven. Um, and that's where we're about at right now. Um, you know, we'll get into the other side of the handicap later, but I really, I do still would, would probably lean Niners here. I mean, this, this Lions run D has been really good, but they've you know shown leaks at time down to just 10th in success rate, fourth in EPA per, per run. Um, but what is interesting though, 49ers are like you know a Shanahan scheme, so they run a super high rate of zone runs, like top three in the league. Lions against zone runs, just allowing 3.6 yards per carry, um, allowing a 46% success rate though, which is 13th. So it's like the run D is good, but not completely infallible. And I think that that kind of matters here in this spot, uh, especially if the Niners don't have Debo. But I mean, the biggest key here is like this Lions secondary. I, I mean, I think is pretty bad, and 
pretty exposable here. I mean, allowing since they're by 303 passing yards per game, 8.7 yards per attempt. Um, I mean, they the the Niners still have George Kittle. They still have Brandon Ayuk. I mean, I don't think Juwan Jennings is awesome, but he's like a fine chain moving slot guy. You know, like they, they have other weapons that like they can at least utilize here outside of Debo. Now Debo, I think would, you know, raise this to another level and make me probably bet more at Niners minus seven. But I do think that the offense has success and it wouldn't surprise me to see them skew pass heavy again, even without Debo just being like, Hey, we don't want to establish the run specifically here in this spot against the lions. We're just going to try and pass it a little bit more, but I think either way they have reasonable success and score, you know, a good amount of points here. So I don't have too much on this side of the handicap outside of just like a on par Niners game. I would say, if not a little bit above, um, you know, against this Lions defense. Clark, are we getting a little bit of a discount here in the Niners, or may, at least maybe the perception of what the Niners offense is based off of what we saw last from Brock Purdy? Now, again, like he led them to a you know a win and a drive at the end to get there um, on the back of Christian McCaffrey a lot. But, I mean, obviously the performance is pretty poor. Um, do you think that that performance has impacted like maybe what you thought this from a look-ahead line was going to be and where we've opened up? I don't think we're getting much of a discount at all. I was, I was looking forward to getting a discount, and I just don't think it happened. Too. Um, I, you know, I, I think the Debo thing is potentially a little bit overplayed. Like I really think Debo matters. I think he's a fantastic player, but when you're looking at those splits, there's, there's a couple nuances you have to add in. One is that two of those games were weather games. And we know that Purdy just can't throw the ball in the rain, like twice now. Terrible. Uh, Trent Williams was out for some of those Debo games. Like the overlap of of Trent Williams being out Mm -hmm. was massive. He's a huge, huge part of what they do offensively. And then third, two of those games were games where Debo started and got injured early on. And in both of those games, it looked like he was going to be a big part of the game plan from the get-go. I mean, last week, he, he touched the ball twice, I think, on their opening drive and then got hurt. It was clear that he was part of their and, – and because of the way that he plays, his his element in the offensive game plan can't be replaced by guys like Juwan Jennings. He's a, he's a unique player. So I think that context uh, pushes me a little bit off overweighting the difference between Debo, but – the markets are indicating that Debo is probably going to play because it's minus seven pushing even higher in some spots. Um, you know, that that's a lot of points to give uh, a team that has not looked all that impressive the last couple of weeks. You know, they struggled to beat Green Bay, legitimately struggled. That wasn't variance or bad luck. That was a dogfight that the Packers easily could have won. Um, so I think, I think the seven is just like a lot of other people feel the same way I do, which is I was looking forward to betting the Niners on a discount and then it just never happened. But um, I do think the Niners offense will have some success here. The, the Lions have been exploitable downfield and the 49ers are the type of team that capitalize against defensive mistakes. And there will be plenty of defensive mistakes to capitalize against. Uh, their run game has been pretty uh, sort of doesn't really matter who they're playing. They're they're pretty successful on the ground. Christian McCaffrey is a big part of that. The run scheme is a big part of that. Um, and I think even if Debo doesn't play, going into the game knowing that you don't have Debo, I think is different than missing him early in the game when you've built a game plan around him. So I do think the 49ers are going to have a lot of success here, especially if they can get the lead and hold the lead. And then they've got everything at their disposal and the lions are going to be on their heels um, and in a different environment than they've been in a while. So I, I think this is a good spot to kind of see a bounce back performance from the 49ers offense. It's it's yeah, interesting no. because the the prop market does not expect Debo to play. So mm-hmm. the prop market has Ayuk at like 80 receiving yards, which is by far is the highest line of the season. And has Kittle at like 60, whereas like Kittle's normal lines is like low 50s. Ayuk's normal line is like mid 60s. Like, like you know, that's maybe even low 60s sometimes. So that's what's, what I think is interesting there is like they're like 80 to 90% of the way of like Debo not playing, I would say. Interesting. Yeah. 
it is interesting and impactful. I mean, it is also a soft matchup because that's part of it too, right? Like, so even in that game last week, we, we kind of all agreed like, hey, Baker, great job this season. None of us really think Baker is, is fantastic. They still carved out the Lions secondary and, and like you know, kind of came back at the end uh, in a spot where like they were able to make chunk plays. And I just can't see a scenario where they're not like the San Francisco offense without any rain being able to be, not make chunk plays offensively. Um, now, again, the Lions can score as well. Uh, and, you know, especially at seven, you know, the backdoor ability is, you know, a little bit terrifying with that that large of a number if they can stay within it, though. I think, like, it, it's very simple here. Like, I think that Jared Goff is – I think he's maybe a little bit – I think he's underrated. Um, right. in the sense underrated like, or overrated? Underrated. In, in, the, in this instance, right, because the quarterback right. position – hold on. The quarterback position is – is the, the ask is vast, right? But in the one scenario, which happens more times than not, and then that is the quarterback drops back and is not pressured, and he is kept clean. Jared Goff is fantastic. Now, again, that is not all that entails playing quarterback, but that happens more frequently than any other scenario when you drop back. Um, now can he do that here? Can he do that against the Niners who like to sit back in a lot of zone who don't have necessarily scheme pressure in a way where like they bring a bunch of different, like exotic looks. They're like, they can kind of beat you straight up with their guys up front. Um, and I think that they can, especially if there's some offensive line injuries through the middle there. Um, again, like golf is not going to be clean all game, but when he's clean, man, he, he takes care of the ball. He is accurate. And I think he puts the ball on these guys in a way that allows them to get yards after the catch. So um, now again, he folds like a cheap shirt. If someone gets near his legs or like in his pocket or he's having to move off his pocket, he, just, he doesn't do it. So, uh, Connor, what are your thoughts there on, uh, on golf and the offense, uh, backdooring seven or any other thoughts you have on the matchup? Yeah, I really think that we see the lions come out and just run the ball as much as possible until the game is, unless the game gets out of hand. I mean, we saw the Packers go in and have success doing so for at least a good chunk of the game. Uh, and we have this lions rushing offense, which is you know, as good, if not better at full strength of their offensive line. Now it's a little banged up. Maybe they're not quite as good, but I think schematically and given their personnel, they still should be able to run the ball against the Niners team. 27th rushing success right now in the year, 28th in EPA per play. Compare that to pass defense, seventh in dropback success rate, fifth in dropback EPA per play. And you brought it up here specifically because, and we talked about it last week too, against the Bucks. like Jared Goff versus the Blitz is fine because he doesn't always get pressured on the Blitz. Like it's not that there's multiple people coming at him that scares him. It's Jared Goff under pressure, no matter the circumstances, that causes him to have like a, I think it's like a 45% completion rate. He is, you know, amongst the worst in CPOE, completion percentage over expectation. It's like negative 11%. And so I dug up the stats today. When teams uh, pressure him without blitzing, he's like among the worst quarterbacks in the NFL. And that is literally what the Niners defense is built on. It is like getting pressure without blitzing. And since they got Chase Young, Daigle dug up the stat for over 40% pressure rate, um, you know, among that team. And they blitz at one of the lowest rates of the league. I mean, you're talking about like 18%, um, you know, 20%. So I think that is massively, massively impactful here because Jared Goff against, you know, against pressure has just not really been all that good. Um, and on top of this, we have another factor that Jared Goff's best section of the field is the middle of the field between the hash marks. And Ben Johnson has done a really good job of pushing the ball downfield in that 10 to 19 mark. Eric Eager tweeted that out. It was like 70% completion rate, like averaging over 10 yards per attempt. 49ers are number one in defending it in the 10 to 19 middle of the field. They are allowing like a 40% completion rate. They're top three in basically every single metric in that range. 
I mean, for me, in my opinion, like if the Lions have to go to that drop back and pass game and are not able to successfully run the ball, you know, or they fall behind, they're just in a really dangerous situation where if they're getting pressure and they're dropping back a ton of guys, they're confusing golf a little bit, like it's not going to be very easy for them to move the ball. And so I really struggle to see a way that the Lions, if they fall behind, are like, I mean, again, it's another one of those things where I think they're in really, really big trouble. Whereas if they can keep the game close, if they're running the ball successfully all game, like it has to be like kind of like the Packers game. It has to be like a three and a half plus quarters of running the ball and being able to play off of that run. I think they'll be able to move the ball at least somewhat well, but I just have concerns on a play to play basis that they're going to be able to do that. So um, I already played the Jared Goff under, um, you know, passing yards, but um, I don't know. I, I do think they have success running the ball. So that's what kind of leads me. Like I think the Niners score plenty and I think the Lions have success running the ball, but I have concerns about the passing game there. Yeah, play volume could be a problem in this game here, Clark, with uh, you know, the Niners very comfortable bringing the clock, being slow. It's a hefty total. Um, but again, like there's chunk plays all over here too. What are your thoughts on uh, the Lions side when they have the football? Yeah, I, I think the Lions might not find it too easy going here. I think we can all agree when Jared Goff is standing upright with no pressure and his guys are wide open in the middle of the field, he can throw the ball to them like, Good job. You can play. Well, look, you, when you when you look at some of the other quarterbacks in this league, actually all of them. When you look at like highly accurate throws, I forget what the uh, what the account was. Like football inside, they were using some like um some data from fantasy points. Highly accurate throws versus like PFFs turnover worthy play rate. Golf is in a tier completely by himself. Yeah, he is yeah, off he, the charts in, in both of them. Now again, in, like. He's in one of the best schemed offenses in the NFL behind one of the best offenses in the NFL. Guys are that's wide what he's open. Do. Yeah, that's yeah, his no, job, though. His job is to execute it when it happens, right? So you're right, he you're does right. it I'm in just a saying, great way. I'm, I'm saying, Jared Goff, if they get to, if they get to Jared Goff, it's going to be a long day. That, that's, that's the bottom line. That um, I agree with, too, for sure. I think, I think the 49ers defense has struggled because of the way that it's structured. Like, really, really good up front, excellent linebackers. They close on tackles very quickly. Um, because of the way they're structured, they have done a good job of shutting down offenses that rely on good offensive line play. So teams that maybe don't have an elite quarterback, but they just consistently get good gains because they're setting up good plays and winning up front. So they crushed Dallas, right? They, they really crushed Philadelphia. Um, They did well against, I'm kind of looking at my numbers right now. Uh, Oh, the, the teams they struggled with Joe Burrow when he was healthy in the Bengals, uh, Kirk Cousins and the Vikings and Matthew Stafford and the Rams quarterbacks that are capable of overcoming bad offensive line play. Um, and I think the Lions kind of fit that for, first category category much more, which is relying on good offensive line play and things being easy. They're not going to be easy. You know, Jared Goff isn't going to have open guys over the middle of the field because Fred Warner is a monster. Dre Greenlaw is a monster. Um, so I think it's going to be a little bit of a struggle for Detroit. And <laughs> I think uh, – if they get behind, if the run game gets taken off the table from the Lions, uh, that is sort of a downhill, you know, they're not going to recover from that, in my opinion. Jared Goff is just not good enough to say, hey, you know, you're down seven against this 49ers defense and you have two minutes. You don't, you can't run the ball. You got to pass it. Like, that's not a situation I want to be in if I'm Detroit. Um, so I think it, it sort of depends on how well the, the 49ers offense does, right? It's like a balancing act. Both of these teams are when it rains, it pours. We saw what happened to Detroit. When they lost the edge against Baltimore, it just went completely, you know, tits up. Um, and the 49ers are the same way. They, they sort of established the edge against the Cowboys, absolutely crushed them. Couldn't get that edge against Baltimore, it struggled, right? And so I think this is a game that kind of tilts 
we should probably have a sense of who's going to win this game pretty early on. I think it's going to be, um, you know, either a 49ers blowout or the Lions keep the game within a field goal or a touchdown the whole way and have their whole arsenal on display. Uh, but if I had to pick one, I would think the 49ers are, are being a little bit undervalued here. Um, I'm not betting it because I think the line is sharp. Um, I, you know, my Old numbers team. make it under seven, but my angles make it 49ers. And so when that happens, I'm just sort of like hands off. Um, I, I would like the over because I think both offenses will have some success, but one, I'm not convinced the lions are going to have success, right? This could easily be a 38, 10 kind of game, which wouldn't, which wouldn't clear the total. Um, and then the other thing is both of these teams are capable of really slowing the game down if they want to. And so the, whichever team has the lead at the end, I could see them bleeding the clock successfully. You know, we've seen the lions play very, very quickly. I wonder if they'll slow down in this one, knowing that, you know, creating variance by reducing the number of plays might actually be better for them. Whereas in the past they've been the better team and they wanted to go the other way on that. So I think there's plenty of reasons to caution me off the over. Um, this is a no play. I have futures on 49ers and I'm, I'm riding with those. So, so go 49ers. Connor, you want to do uh Niners team total and alts, right? Um, I'm, I mean, I might be in an alts. I don't know. I mean, maybe some like, you know, minus 19 and a half or something like that. Who knows? I mean, that's kind of, it's kind of fun. I don't know about the team total is tough. I mean, what, what is it even at this week? I got, you know, sick after betting them last week and you know, they were just looked terrible. I mean, <laughs> it's not good. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're, we're probably right around what, 29 and a half, 30 based off of this. You know, I'm looking at the, you know, I've been writing the the score first and win lose bets this offseason. I'm like oh, yeah. undefeated on this. I'm sort of interested in so so the Lions took the ball first against Tampa Bay. Um, and I think they would do the same thing against San Francisco. So I think whoever wins the toss, the Lions get the ball first. Um, but I think that's been priced into the markets now because the last couple of weeks they've been getting steamed. People have identified these props like I have. I actually think there might be value on the other side because if if the if the Lions are going to get the ball first and the 49ers score first, that's really bad for the Lions, right? Because that means oh, yeah. they got the ball, they didn't score. The 49ers got the ball, they did score. And so you you might be able to get. Uh, I'm I'm looking at the values now, but you know, 49ers to score first and money line is plus 115. That's not a great price, but but it's just I'm looking at ways to sort of capitalize on the idea that uh, the Lions start slow and finish slow, right? So I don't know if that's 49ers win both half those kinds of props. I'm probably going to have a little bit of money scattered around those, but, but nothing too serious. When the, uh, the Texans got the ball and then just went straight three and out. I was like, Oh boy, this might be a long one because it's not good. <laughs> I didn't have it on Texans. I had it on, uh, I had Packers to score first and lose. Oh, it's Packers. Okay. Yeah. yeah Pack- I tried to get the Texans one. I oh, yeah. the Packers. Oh, you had the Texans. Packers is exactly how I scripted it up. They went down, kicked a field goal. I was like, all right, Packers scored first. Now I have a big plus money, money line on the San Francisco 49ers. And then they almost blew it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I live bet the Niners like five times during that game. I was like at some some party and I'm like sitting there. I'm just like smashing the button. I'm like, they got to do better. I'm like, next drive. It's got to happen. And they just kept playing like shit. It was I mean, ugly. I mean, Brock Birdie played legitimately the worst three quarters of football that I've seen in a while. And then he played fine at the end. I mean, but it, it was, was so bad. His lows are a lot lower than I would like, to be honest. I mean, he was missing badly. Like, I wish you could give him negative accuracy scores for some of those throws. Like they weren't 0% throws. They were like negative 40% throws. Yeah. So bad. That's that completion percentage over expectation, right? That is, well, I mean, that's a binary uh, yes or no, but yeah, it was, it was, it was pretty rough. So 
Yeah. All right. Well, so we're all kind of, you know, Niners more than, than anything. There was really no pro Lions stuff in there, which I think would it, if it got the seven and a half, Clark, like say Debo plays, if it got the seven and a half, would you play the Lions or no? No. No. Because yeah. you're, was- you're just like, you know, after doing this show with you for a year and, you know, understanding how you bet for two years, you're like, you know, totally fine taking the maybe somewhat gross value, uh, you know, based if your model's showing. And that seems like something that would pop, but I guess I'm sure you just have the Niners very yeah, so high. I, I, so. I'm not, so it depends on the maturity of the market, right? So we're at the point where the the amount of money it would take to move the line to San Francisco minus seven and a half is, is a, a meaningful oh, amount wow. of money from yeah. winning betters, right? So, so if my model is off at that point in the week, I'm, I'm not going to be like, oh, well, look, there's value on, you know, on my model now, right? Uh, that's different than, you know, openers are off. And I see a difference between my model and the opener. I'm going to, I'm going to bet it no matter what the number is, just because like, you know, the openers aren't that sharp, but so, so it, it matters a little bit in context. If it had opened seven and a half, I probably would have put some on the lines just because, you know, that's what my model said. Um, I wouldn't have <laughs> right. felt great about it, but, uh, because I really like the Niners in this game, but, but yeah, I would have done that, but not, not getting pushed that way from money. I mean, after after you bet the Jets a couple times with whatever bums, I feel like you you're willing to take anyone. That's some some true respect right there, honestly. Yeah, yeah, the Jets that that those hurt actually. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we don't mean any ill will to the Lions or their fan base. Like, oh yeah, to restoring the roar. We're really excited for you. This is do not take this out of context. We're not saying Jer- you. Jerkoff is very intelligent. Very good. You into Cal? I mean, it's good school. Yeah, I'm sure he did excellent there. But yeah, it's uh, it's going to be tough. It'd be a rematch. We'd have a rematch uh, against the Lions on either side. Um, but yeah, Niners either get a rematch there, or we get that uh, that Chiefs game rematch. Super Bowl. Super Bowl. Yeah. So, all right, gentlemen, good stuff as always. I don't know what our we haven't talked. I don't know what our Super Bowl show looks like, but just subscribe to the channel before you leave. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Find us. Move the line wherever you listen to podcasts. Subscribe there. We'll be back to do. Uh, a Super Bowl show, but again, the prop show will be on Friday, and again, when the off-season content starts sooner than you know it. So, uh, we appreciate you hanging out with us all season long. For Connor and Clark, I'm Ryan. We'll see you all next time. Thanks, everybody. Yeah. <laughs>